Welcome to Living at the Mercy of the Moment, a new podcast created especially for this moment in the pandemic. I'm Shira Dicker, your host. Today's podcast will commence without our trademark music, Mad World, as we are dedicating this episode to a close listening at this most tenuous moment in our history. As the wave of the second surge of coronavirus builds frightening momentum and our nation struggles to regain its democratic soul. Living at the mercy of the moment invites you to join an intimate conversation between me and Jeanette Peyritz Elsner. Jeanette is the author of the forthcoming autobiography, MS as Metaphor, a memoir of life at the mercy of the moment. Jeanette's memoir documents her almost improbably challenging life journey, which culminated in the development of multiple sclerosis when she was a young woman. As you will discover, Jeanette has a message for listeners and the world at large. If you want help surviving this impossibly difficult moment, perfect your powers of resilience. This is our new episode, After Great Pain, a formal feeling comes. Listeners know that I suffered a great loss, namely the death of my beloved father a little more than a month ago. In the aftermath of the Shiva week and the subsequent first month of mourning, the Shloshim, I have been highly sensitized and alerted to something I already knew. Along the continuum of sorrow, our family was relatively blessed. Unlike so many during this strange, sad, and terrifying time, we were able to stay with my father. We were not separated unless you count the masks we wore when we were together. My father was taken from this world gently, at home, in the company of his family on the Holy Sabbath. As condolence calls have poured in, And as I have formed bonds with strangers in the aftermath of my own loss, I am struck, grief-stricken really, by the immense suffering of those who have endured not only the physical death of their loved ones, but the physical separation from them prior and during the death itself. This seems to me a terrible trauma, a shared collective trauma one that will reverberate for quite some time. And in contemplating this collective wound, I thought of you, Jeanette, and all that we have spoken about in the past few years. For you, as the child of Holocaust survivors, know about cruel separation and loss without redemption and the lack of closure and even the lack of the physical evidence of the death of a loved one. So on that heavy note, I would like to welcome you, my dear friend, Jeanette Peyritz elsner to today's broadcast. Hi, Shira. Hi, Jeanette. Jeanette, you know that I'm a big fan of Emily Dickinson, and it just occurred to me that one of her poems, After Great Pain, reflects what I have on my heart. Is it okay if I start with the reading of that poem? Sure. Okay. After Great Pain. After great pain, a formal feeling comes. The nerves sit ceremonious like tombs. The stiff heart questions, 
Was it he that bore and yesterday or centuries before? The feet mechanical go round, a wooden way of ground or air or aught, regardless grown a quartz contentment like a stone. This is the hour of lead, remembered if outlived, as freezing persons recollect the snow, first chill, then stupor, then the letting go. Listeners of Living at the Mercy of the Moment know that our conversation about the particular challenges and features of your struggle with MS and in the aftermath of your legacy as the child of Holocaust survivors make you a freelance expert in confronting the global disability afflicting all of humanity, namely the COVID-19 pandemic. The resilience and coping mechanisms that you've built up over decades are highly relevant now. Can we talk about the public share trauma of this time? You and I have spoken so often off mic about the different kinds of deaths and departures from this world. Can you reflect whether deeply personally or globally upon what you see happening now, micro and macro, as we are knee deep into the second surge with projections of further devastation? Or as I'm guessing, would you rather discuss the aftermath and your reflections on my own personal loss? Yes, Shira, I would like to begin upon the reflections of your your dad's death. It amazes me when I see you and I speak with you, the calmness after your dad's death, which initially, actually until today, until I processed it, I found it surreal. I found it unbelievable. How could a lifetime of being Henry's, your dad's daughter, he's gone. And your stillness, your, it's almost a joyfulness, but I don't know if that's the right word. It's, you are amazing to me. It's you have, there's all only reason that you would feel the way you feel, the way you convey yourself, because you have been a magnificent daughter. You, your brother Morty, your sister Adina, before the concept of pods became known during this pandemic, you have been a pod, the three of you, together with your mother, your mom, and your dad. And so you have been ever present throughout the past few years with your dad, being with him, staying with him, counting his breath in the hospital, holding his hand through every step he's been, you've been with him. He's been part of you and he's been, he was he knew how deeply he was loved, how present you were with him. And so at the time that he has passed away, I, you're, 
I understand I'm it's hard for me to even speak because I have never felt and the passage of both of my parents I felt an agony because the circumstances were not as beautiful as yours to describe death or passage as beautiful is bizarre but your dad's transition from life to death was a smooth transition, a beautiful transition, together with his family passing away on the Sabbath, 5.15 in the morning, on a Saturday, a rabbi with his family. What an ideal way to, to pass, to leave this world. Your dad experienced he experienced that. He knew how deeply he was loved, how connected you were with him. I'm just speaking because I actually have never witnessed a death such as that of your dad's in the company, in the love of his family. I remember you're mentioning that your son Judah would go there and play for him. It, it, so beautiful, so remarkable. And I'm just reassociating, just speaking, because I think the whole world, all of us in this world, if in, in people's lifetime, in our parents' lifetime, if we could model after you, after your family, passage death would be, there wouldn't be a morbidity or a sadness to death. It would be more of an elevation as an elevation as you and your family have portrayed to the world, to me. This morning, you really enlightened me because I really, I've always attributed death a much more of a laden heaviness of a sadness. And then I listened to you. I saw you. I saw your face, your countenance, your the freedom, the beauty in your face. Why? Because you're a wonderful daughter. You're a wonderful family. And the whole world, we could be lifted in this pandemic where everyone is separated. In some version, we can express passage or death or connection in the way we want to because we're veiled, we're masked. However, if we just live our lives as you and your family have with your dad, passage even in this mask time of distance would be lessened. The pain would be lessened because we lived the best version of who we could be in life. Hmm. Hmm. Ah, uh, Jeanette, you know, I, I mean, I thank you. I thank you for these words. And I, I have to say, I'm so struck. You know, there's some things that just are not articulated, but they are truths. And one of those truths, and I think we may have touched on this in our last conversation, not all deaths are equivalent, right? There are violent deaths. There are horrifying. There's murder, for instance. There are deaths in which violence is done to the human body. And what I'm hearing from people, and I sometimes just, I feel, I don't know if it's that I'm a lightning rod or that I'm just open to um, collecting stories or that I'm lucky I'm somehow 
this seems to be one of my blessings that I get to hear stories from other people. Um, I had, I'll just give you an example. And I know last time I reflected on some of the calls I've gotten during the Shiva week, after the Shiva week, and a number of the people who called me told me about their own losses. And months later, their voices are just constricted with, with, with pain because they were not with their loved one, whether it was a COVID death per se or just a death that happened in that first surge. They were physically prevented from being with their loved one. Their loved one died alone. That's a different kind of a death. That is a death without closure sometimes. And there's a haunted quality to that. So I, I feel now, as I always did, that um, I, I feel like I have a role. Um, I had this particular experience, and I don't want to hopscotch away from something you said, which is very important, and which, as you pointed out, sounds almost odd, but it's the truth. And you were right in the fact that there almost is joy. I wanted my father with me forever, with us forever. But the father I wanted with me forever was the father of a, you know, maybe a year and a half ago. I would take him in any form and shape, no problem, but the way he wanted to be in this world. And when that ceased to be the father who was, and he was ready to be released what I experienced was a sense of release. And I wonder if the joy, you know, there's sorrow, obviously, there's missing, there are tears. I delivered a, um, it sounds so formal, I delivered, I spoke a Dvar Torah. Dvar Torah literally means a word of Torah. Um, so just side, little side note here, I am part of a morning prayer group. I've spoken about it before. It's a, a, what's called a partnership minion. That's the liberal end of orthodoxy um, here in Manhattan, although now due to the magic of Zoom, it is accessible to anybody in any time zone on any place with an internet hookup. Uh, Darche Noam is the name of the Kila, the community in New York. And I gave a Dvar Torah yesterday after the morning services. Um, it marked the end of the Shloshim period, the 30 days. And, um, and I, I spoke about that and people's reactions to what I said were so illuminating to me. And so, um, you know, as I prepared for it, of course, there was there were tears. And I think I also accessed my father because my father was a rabbi. I access him by diving deeply into liturgy and into the songs that are embedded in the liturgy and the ideas embedded in the songs embedded in the liturgy. And so I'm coming from a, a particular place and I didn't know I was going to feel this way. I was afraid of being afraid. And instead, I experienced something else. I experienced a release and I do wonder, you know, I don't know if this is my spiritual metaphysical self, if it's my imagination, if it's my wish fulfillment self, but I wonder if this sense of joy 
that I'm tapping into is not an intimation, a hint of what it is that death is, you know, and I, I, I know that there are those who articulate that in a definitive way. I don't know. I have no idea. Aside from the death of my dog four years ago, and I'm, I'm not joking, it, it may sound like a sacrilegious or trivial um, thing to say, juxtaposed with the death of one's father, but in a lot of ways, my dog prepared me. Um, the death of our senior Pomeranian Alfie, Alfie Rascal Goldman, prepared me because we were with him and the veterinarian was a guide. She was almost like a death doula. And she was the one who told us that he was staying for us. And what we needed to do was let him go. And I learned to let go. He taught me to let go. And, and that prepared me. And, and I want to say another thing. My father prepared me. Jeanette, he was a rabbi and a psychologist. And he spoke about separations in life, preparing us for the ultimate separation, which is death itself. So he had a conscious preparation. And I may have said this to you privately. I may have said it in the podcast. I don't know. I feel like our private conversations and our podcast, the podcast, they, they kind of get melded together. Maybe they are one. But... My father had trouble letting me go when I was a teenager. Our only conflict was over college. I was desperate to get the F away, as every teenager was. And my father was desperate to, to keep us close by. And oh, I, 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 I have such... Since adulthood, I've had I've had a take on it. I've talked to him about it. I may have mentioned my father did a tikkun, which is kind of a restitution. He and my mom paid for my graduate school at Columbia when I was 50 years old. I was this was the one thing I was really pissed off at my parents about. You know, I said to them, I've never been, you know, um, Every stupid little thing that a child has against the parent, that wasn't it. This was the thing. This was, And, you know, they, without my prompting, they took it upon themselves to say, okay, you know what? You wanted a particular kind of school. We couldn't do it then for a variety of reasons. We're doing it now. But I understand it was his intimation of the ultimate let. My father wanted to maximize the time we had together. And I, I look at that now. And you did that. You, and I, you did and that. Did you that. did what we you did wanted. We all, if I, we all, yeah. all of us, we have a fear of death. Death is a termination. It's the end. And that was not your experience. Neither was it your dad's experience. His death was a connection. It was beautiful. And in, and in, in this pandemic, so many people don't have what you have. They don't. I know. And it's... And how, how do we heal this? How do we heal this? I'll tell you, yesterday I heard from somebody. I had sent them a short story that I wrote a long time ago. 
actually part of an un unpublished novel I wrote when I was 29. And because we had been part of a, um, an online discussion group and something this woman said, and I don't even know her, but I just said, oh my God, I, I, a short story I wrote a really long time ago talks exactly about, do you want, do you want to see this? And I felt egotistical and I'm like, oh God, Shira, you're like making this all about you. And just, and to my, you know, happiness, she said, sure, I'd love to see it. She wrote me the most beautiful feedback and forget about the story, but she had lost her father in the spring. And it was one of those separation deaths where she had been separated for months because of COVID and, and she's suffering. And, and how, how do we, Jeanette, we have, there's a whole generation. Forget about the grandchildren separate. We're both grandmothers. We know we have FaceTime relationships with our grandkids. Our grandkids are babies. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully the majority of their lives with us will be up close and personal. But the losses, the losses from which there are no return, namely the death, the set, how do the people heal who did not get to see their loved ones, hold their loved ones, be in the you same know, room. I can say How? both of my parents, for different reasons, their deaths were, was, were deeply traumatic for me, the, uh, deeply traumatic. And what I can say, I suffered a lot and I still suffer because of circumstances where I had no control over those circumstances. What I can say personally for myself and for all of us, all people who are going through this pandemic where we cannot say goodbye to our parents or our loved ones and hold their hand and be there with them. What gets me through and I think what can get everyone through in our lifetime is if we are good people in our lifetime, if we're loving, if we're present. We've done the best we can, the most we can, while pre-COVID. What has happened has been inflicted, has been imposed, has been thrown upon the world. And we have no control over that. So that should be an appeasement, a lessening of, of guilt only, of suffering only, because we have no choice. Life as we say, is we're at the mercy of the moment. The mercy of the moment has been so pervasively imposed and inflicted upon people that even at the, the word death, the word death now, we cannot, people can't mourn or be together in death with our loved ones because it has been forced upon us. But people who have lived a good life, a loving life, they they should take comfort in knowing that we did the best we can. People have done the best they can. So that should provide comfort because not th there was no choice. We were forced into this. People have been forced into this form of grieving. So that should... I would think it has helped me because in circumstances where I've had no control and I've tried to be the best person I can be, it comforts me to know that I did the best I could 
and I had no possibility or control of changing circumstances. Mm -hmm. You're reminding me of so many things. I mean, as you're speaking, number one, I'm thinking of um, stories that I've heard from the children and grandchildren of Holocaust survivors about the absence of a body, the absence of a burial site, right? And somebody that I was working with on a documentary film last year told me about her mother, who was a refugee's uh, and a refugee who lost her parents. Her parents were murdered. The joy that she had when she was able to bury a sister physically and have a body and have a burial site, right? I mean, to rejoice over that because um, the the absence of it was such a such a feature of of her previous experiences. So it reminds me of that, this collective trauma being inflicted on a generation of people. Number two, it reminds me of one of my dad's uh, sermonic tropes. And by the way, my brother, sister, and I sometimes just, we laugh through our tears because my dad had these favorite, as uh, you know, clergy people are prone to do, my dad had tropes and he would sometimes a year later, say, you know, kind of weave in the same theme. And we would sit there in the audience kind of elbowing each other because we had heard that one before, but they were all worth repeating and repeating and repeating. He would say, what is responsibility? Responsibility is the ability to respond. I just love that because it breaks yeah. it down, right? It doesn't yeah. say you have to move a mountain. It just, it's like, do something, right. <laughs> just do something, respond. Right. Don't just sit there, do something. And so here we are, you know, um, and there are, there are tiny ways that we can help. And the tiny ways can't, we don't have to do grandiose things. We don't have to go out there and produce a vaccine. It seems that we have pharmaceutical companies doing that, right? We don't have to go out there and mobilize, although some of us are, but in small ways, in small ways, we can make a difference. Um, you know, I was just thinking, uh, I had sent uh, you a while ago from my maternal side, a family tree of uh, a family history at Yad Vashem in Israel of hundreds of people who were from the Zilber family who were murdered in the Holocaust. I don't know if you remember that. Right. Yes, your mother's so, family. Uh, my cousin George, yes. who's an Orthodox uh, Jewish man, he's um, he lost his his dad. He never, <coughs> excuse me, he never. I think he must have been four years old, and he never saw his dad. He was murdered in the Holocaust, and George lives his life always looking to do. At the moment, <clears throat> I'm having a hard time. Sorry. To do the okay. to do the best thing, and for him, family is so important. So, uh, what I'm I, what I'm I don't know where I'm going with this. He he had such losses. He was a little boy, and he witnessed so much loss. So that now he cherishes and values life so greatly. He's so present in all of our lives in life. 
as you were present in your dad's life, in his life, just, I don't, the present, just for the whole world, if everyone can just, just be present with kindness, that elevates, even in our separation, kindness is so connecting, so connecting. And I think in this pandemic, that would be a beautiful life lesson. I think we've spoke about this in previous episodes, but it's so empowering just to be present, to be kind, to listen to another person. It's so, you can make their day, you can make their week. I remember a few years ago when I was more mobile, I, I went, uh, I was doing some errand and I spoke to some woman, I think it was at a bank and I spoke to a woman and the banker said to me, the teller said to me, Jeanette, what did you say to that woman? And I, I wasn't, I wasn't sure. Mm. He said, you know, she said to me that your words made her day, perhaps made her week. Mm. And I, I won't, I'll mm. never forget that. Just a word, a word can change a person's trajectory for, we don't know for how long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're you're reminding me of one a, a word that I I think about often, um, and it's a Hebrew word, and it's a concept also. It's the word hineni. Yes. Here beautiful I am. Word. Oh. It's a response. It's a beautiful word. It means, "Are you? Can I count on you?" Yes, hineni. I've been listening yes. to a lot oh. of Leonard Cohen lately. I'm working on the Leonard Cohen project right now about his theology. And um, he says Hineni in his song, You Want It Darker. And I he love calls that out song. To God, oh. basically, and says, Hineni, Hineni, here I am. And I think this is a Hineni moment. And maybe the answer to the question, how, how do we help heal those who've been robbed of the opportunity to have a a good leave-taking for their loved ones to have a leave-taking that's dignified with closure is, yes. is to How say, beautiful that here is. I am, and to hear here them. Here I am. Yeah. How gorgeous is that to hear yeah. from another person to say that? I, I, it brings me, to, it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Here I am. I am here for mm -hmm. you. I am listening to you. I am with you. What more, what mm -hmm. more can we ask for? That's what more. Yeah. And as a mom, I'm sure this will resound for you. I had a visual right now of a house that I, I've never loved a home as much as I love this home. From 1987 to 1994, we lived in New Rochelle, New York, um, at 55 Aberfoyle Road in this lovely Tudor home that had a commodious, deep, magical yard and this lovely porch. It was a modest home. It wasn't, we thought it was everything because we had just moved out of a one bedroom apartment on West End Avenue. And I remember when my son, Adam, who's now 36, he's an art, arts journalist living in Europe. When he was four years old, he had night terrors and he was also beset 
by existential woe, which I think might be unusual for four-year-olds. And he would call out in the middle of the night. And when your kid has a nightmare, what do you say when you come into the room? Here I am, right? What do you, and what are you saying? You're not alone. I'm going to help you carry this. I'm going to make it better. And we never outgrow that, you know, on some level, we're all four-year-olds and life can be a night terror. Life nightmares come true. There's been a nightmarish surreal quality to the time that we're in right now. But what makes it better is for somebody to come in and sit next to us and just say, here I am, I'm here. You're not alone. You know, let me, let me help. We can't take away the dream. The dream happened, right? We, we can't magically evaporate it, but we can, we can help them cope with and it. You did that, and, and you did that. Your family did that with your dad. Here I am. Here we are. In your, your leaving, in your suffering, in your passing, you are not alone. Here I am. Here we are. How, how beautiful. How, lucky. how beautiful and how lucky, Jeanette, how lucky we were because think of all the families that, that longed to do that, right? And I think there has got to be, there's got to be a knowledge within the souls, within even the psyche of those, the conscious thoughts of those who perished. They know, they, they know it's not like they're thinking, what's What's with my no good Nick family? You know, they, they know, you know, they know. And you know just, what, Shira? They know. You know what we can say? We can say, here we are for you, for people. We are here because yes. you and I, fortunately, we both, we have a capacity to be connected to people, to listen, to listen with our hearts, to listen. And, and I think... We we can help people. We can help through our voices, through our hearts. Yeah. I know in my aloneness, in my home, in my body, because I cannot move as freely. I can't. I can't. Everything is a question of adaptation. Adaptation from I forgot, from walking to a cane to a to a, um, a tripod, through the Mercedes of the walkers, I call it, the, the, the beautiful <laughs> to the wheelchair. Everything is a series of, of, ad of adaptations. And we, we mm -hmm. can, I know when someone says, calls me or speaks to me, and I feel the sincerity of how are you, it means so it lifts me mm -hmm. and we can lift people mm -hmm. through this trauma of this pandemic by saying, here we are for you. We are here for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And the pandemic, I mean, there is this period again, what a time this is, you know, the, the confluence of the political, the way that, our nation's present and future was wrested away from the monstrous administration, which really still is, is holding yeah. on with its teeth. You know, I see it as like 
we're trying to shake loose this this monster but now it's it's reduced to it's like a a small creepy dog that's holding on to our pants leg and we're just <laughs> shaking our leg like get get off get off there will be you know and those of us the i see this as you know here we are to rebuild our democracy to to get something back I wonder, I can't wait to see, and I hope it's a good thing. I wonder what's going to come in this next phase. You know, I, I think one of the things I've comforted myself with, and you know, this whole thing, I have to remind listeners who perhaps didn't listen to the initial episodes. And by the way, I didn't identify what number episode this is because I, I, I lost track actually, but it is episode 13, which is a good, which is lucky in Judaism. It's not bad luck. 13 is bar mitzvah age. 13 are the attributes of, you know, um, of Maimonides. There are so many good associations with 13. This is our 13th episode. We're going to do 10. So we have seven left, seven, the days of a week, right? There's something solid about this, uh, this achievement, but the genesis of this podcast itself was the despair that I was feeling at the beginning of the pandemic, where I said, is this it? Is this the way it ends, right? Is this the dying of the light? Are the vulnerable going to die first and the rest of us just be kept alive to, let me be super dramatic, not even be buried. There will be no one left to bury us. Those are actually the thoughts I was having uh, back at the end of March and beginning of April. And I've reminded myself, first of all, I've come around to the understanding that despair is a sin because there's no place you can go from there, right? It's a choice and we make a choice and I don't begrudge anybody. And I think despair, by the way, is a legitimate response. But as I've said in the past, despair is a place you can visit, but don't make it your permanent address because from despair, there's nowhere else. And unless someone else comes along as you did and said, Hineni, wait a second, Shira, I've lived here before. You're in lockdown, we're in quarantine, we're facing a threat, we're disabled, I'm disabled. I'll tell you how to learn, live within the limitations of this moment. And we've learned things through the pandemic. And so I have reminded myself of the roaring 20s and the great profusion of creativity that came after the 1918 pandemic and Surely, I don't know for sure, right? I don't know. We don't know, but I'm I'm committing myself to working towards that and to building a better democracy because what Trump did was just take the veil of of um, of politeness off of America, right? Trump unmasked America. We saw the ugly face that's underneath. Thank God the majority of America is a beautiful face, but there's ugliness there and there is denial of science and there is uncharitable feelings and there is, there's just hatred and there's something that just, that's the truth. If we want to feel despair, Let's feel it as a sinking, like it's a heart sinking moment of what human beings, how low they can be. But we have to be reminded of 
how great human beings can be and commit ourselves. And as I mentioned him before, I'm going to give a shout out to him again. My Rebbe, my Rabbi, Rabbi David Ingber of Romamu, he said to me at the beginning, we have to just commit ourselves to fighting the good fight alongside those who want the good, you know, who want the good. Don't, we can't battle the dark right now. Let, let the dark die out. We need to preserve our energy and we need, we need to build this olam chesed, you know, a righteous world. And Jeanette, you know, this, this brings it full circle. So I, who was given this blessing, who has a perspective now I have a responsibility, but you know, I've always had that sense of responsibility and it comes from my dad because it's the ability to respond. And um, it doesn't make me great. It makes me human. And, you know, some people will call it paying it forward. You know, other people will say, this is what it means to believe in a sense of social contract. I am not alone. You and I are not alone. Listeners who are listening to us are not alone. There are more of us. Good outweighs bad. Good always triumphs. That's another thing. There are dark times. There are times that are dark and then they get darker and then they get darker still. But ultimately, the light shines through. And on the last day of my Shiva, my dad's Shiva, we took a walk around the block, my brother, sister, and mom in Great Neck, and we heard two remarkable things. One was that Joe Biden won, and number two was that the great Lord Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, the former chief rabbi of, of England, died. And I've said before, I, I thought to myself, Abba, my dad, you now have your perfect study partner in the great heavenly court. Um, and there, I felt on that day an energetic shift. Jeanette, I felt optimistic, and maybe that's where the joy began. Maybe that's where it began. Um, so I, you know, I, I do have this, and I, and with the joy comes a sense of mission. And that's what we're doing here in a small way, right? Uh, living at the mercy of the moment. You helped me, Jeanette, understand that the shock and despair I was feeling was only because I lived under the illusion that safety was guaranteed. Right. And you never had that illusion. You never had that. So the fall for me, it was a steep fall, but I survived the fall. And you helped me. You said, Hineni. And then that empowered me. And in turn... You know, I'm hearing, you're hearing from people who are tuning in here, who are hearing what we're discussing, who are having these conversations, you know, and what this is really is, um, this is our Frank, it's very unscripted. We have a beginning, we have a, a little thing. What we are, you know, we're, I don't know, we're sort of just taking our our conversation public because we know other people are having this and let's let's turn it into a national and into a global conversation amen so Jeanette guess what 
we've reached the end of our episode. It feels funny without the music. And next week, you know, it it doesn't. You know, actually, it doesn't. It feels very appropriate. Yes, given our conversation. Mm. Mm. It feels very immediate. You know, I feel yes. I feel like it removed some of the stagecraft from from this conversation. It made it more like one of our our actual conversations, which take place, listeners. We're going to the core of a moment. We're going to the core of a moment in its stillness, in its beauty, and in its raw feeling. I think it's very powerful. Mm -hmm. Attention must be paid. Yes. So thank you, Jeanette. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for yet another episode of Living at the Mercy of the Moment. If you like what you heard, please share news of our podcast with your friends and loved ones. We are continuing a public conversation on what it means to live through the pandemic, guided by Jeanette Peyritz Elsner, my soul sister, whose life offers guidance and wisdom on resilience transcendence and survival. Jeanette, again, as always, thank you for this conversation. Thank you for everyone, to everyone for tuning in. I am accepting comments, questions, and offers to be on the show by email at shiradicker18 at gmail.com. That's S-H-I-R-A-D-I-C-K-E-R-1-8 at gmail.com. May your moments be merciful. May we get through this challenging time strengthened. May we extend comfort to those who are suffering. May we be inspired to fight the good fight. And may the word he- world heal. And I think our ending here with the siren of an ambulance could not be more fitting. And I guess is the musical accompaniment to today's podcast. Bye, everybody.